and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Lucy Chamberlain. And me, Saul Walker. Now that autumn is making itself known to us, it seems a natural time to reflect on times past and look forward to new ventures ahead. So, with that in mind, we'd like to give a nod to these recent few months by simultaneously embracing what lies in front of us, both practically and at our respective gardens, and by assessing how this exciting industry that we've decided to devote our professional lives to is evolving and thriving. So many of us are showing this sector's true grit by quietly propagating new stock, dreaming up fresh initiatives, looking to new ways of working and generally supporting the trade. And our aim via this podcast is to muse on developments and showcase these horticultural heroes. We'll bring you two short 20-minute episodes each week, plus a longer bonus monthly interview. What more of a reason do you need to join us on this journey? Let's once again step into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. and welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast and hello to all our listeners. Yes, hello everybody. I hope everyone's doing well. I know it's autumn, but I hope yeah. everyone's still enjoying gardens. There's still lots to see, lots lots going on outdoors. Oh, there's so much. The asters and the redbeckias and, and all the, lots of late season colour dahlias. There's a lot going on and I love this time of year when you get those real... You sort of think, like, say that things are on the way, the wane, and you get these real splashes of hot colours that just mm. look so, it's, even on a dank day, so enticing and vibrant and beautiful. And yeah, I I do love an autumn garden, and we're, we're starting to see the hues yeah, now the, on, the trees on the, in, in the trees. Mm. They are turning. So some are very much not. I mean, it's it so depends on where you are in the country. Some are still very green, but I've noticed that the cherries around our way and the field maples and and, and other trees are just just showing those first few hints of colour, which is 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 um such a pleasant time of year. I have been busy making lists, so I know you will be so thrilled oh, no. to hear this. Oh, because. <laughs> Because uh, I'm having a, I'm, I'm, I'm having going to go make myself from... a cup of tea, and you can go I... on about lists. No, I'm kidding. Go on. I love. Oh no, don't. I, I'm having a couple of weeks away from the garden, and um, at this time of year, I can do that. It's not something I normally do, but uh, yeah, it's nice to have a two week break. And uh, I have made a list for the um, the staff at the hall. We have Jade, and I've mentioned Jade in the podcast before. We also have now a new employee called Nick. So hello, Nick, if you're listening. And um, he is a super chap who's very, um, very at home on a tractor. And he likes his lawns and hedges and edges and stuff like that. So we've got, a, we're building a lovely team at the hall. I'm really pleased to see how it's all developing. And I you know, to, to be to be at the front of it and to be to be kind of like guiding people and mentoring them and, and training them up is such a lovely process. So um, I'm enjoying that. And he and Jade are going to be um, picking up the baton whilst uh, my other half, Mr. Chamberlain and myself have a well-deserved rest. And um, yeah, all is all is good. So big long list made. Do, do you know what they're going to do you know what they're going to do? Well, I wrote the list, so I'm hoping so. They, they're going to dig up all the roses. The vegetable garden's going oh, to I be... See. I've already told them to plough that up and uh, replace it all for bananas, canners and the odd collocation. Um, they're going to be changing the whole colour scheme for the whole bed. You're going to go back and you're not even going to recognise the garden. Oh, my goodness me. Well, you know, if they want to do that, on the heads be it, because I don't know what the owners will think about it. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I, I say it's... it's it's 
when you have a nice team of people to work with, it's lovely, isn't it? I think that's that's what I've I've worked out through my professional career. It doesn't, in a way, some it, obviously it does matter what job you're doing, but it's so important to have a good team of people around you at the same time that you can have a banter with that they respect your views and you respect theirs, and everyone has got a common goal that they're working towards, and you and you, you unite and it's you have lots of tea and biscuits, obviously in this colder weather, and it's it's lovely. So so that's um it is imp- it's important in the garden, isn't it? Have a good team i think yeah i think especially at this time of year and going into winter you do need people around you to keep the keep your spirits high because yes. it can be quite damp dank days Ooh. can't they and having people to talk to do you know what for important. me october is not a bad month because you've got the late season color and the autumn mm. colors but when it gets to november that's when you need a good garden buddy like you say, you can get these dank days that where the moisture and the mist just does not shift and it's just all fuggy and bleh. and yeah that's when the banter and the camaraderie and and everyone pulling together trying to get projects done um in not the best conditions is is a really uplifting experience so i can say for private gardens especially because we we work in such smallish teams and we're literally working with the same people all the time it's quite important that your personalities click in some way because I, mm-hmm. I i think we might do a podcast in the future talking about how we employ gardeners or what we're looking for and the kind of ways we're going around it but I think one of the most important things is to make sure you have personality fits because you literally are working with these people all day and generally on on your own as well so it's quite important that you get on yes yeah oh absolutely absolutely and some jobs I mean we are quite honest and open about this some you know some jobs in the garden are quite repetitive and monotonous and uh, like I say add in the cold and the damp that penetrates through to your core and uh, you um, yeah you you do need to have as I say that that kind of group of people around you to give you that that lovely hug our main topic for the podcast tonight and I have been a busy bee in our um, orchards at the hall and I know Saul you've also been a, a busy head gardener picking your apples of late it's, it's been it's been orchard day today Lovely. because October is the classic month for harvesting well actually most uh, top fruit but apples are mm. well it's a British classic isn't it really a, a big orchard full of big fat juicy apples that almost that shouts uh British autumn yeah. to me. Yeah, it really does. It really. Does. So tell me what you've been picking. I know what variety I've got at Donnellan Hall. So what do you have at Stonelands? So we've got a load of heritage varieties. I could go through all of them because uh, we've picked most of them uh, today, in fact. Uh, we've got ones like Newton's Wonder. We've got Ashmead's Kernel. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a few pippins to go through so there's allington pippin and there's ribston pippin then there's the permains they're really interesting all the older heritage apples are either pippins or permains i've worked out so we've got some adams permain there's claygate permain and there's a worcester permain as well and then there's a really great apple called peter Locke. and i don't know who peter Locke is but if he's no i've not heard of him if he's the guy that bred this apple (laughs) it's quite a heavy yielder i have a real problem in that i look at a tree and i go i will probably need about one trug for that and then we start picking (laughs) and five trugs down the line oh it's phenomenal isn't it i'm thinking i can't believe how many apples are on this tree (laughs) And when you've only got five trucks in the whole of the property, you suddenly start running out of containers. Um, And then there's my all-time favourite apple. The one apple everyone, I think, should grow, which is Pitmaston's pineapple, which is an absolute 
beautiful. It's a small apple, snack-sized. I could probably fit it in my mouth in one go. <laughs> but the the flavour is out of this world. It, yeah, it's it's called a pineapple for a reason. It is mm. sweet and it is juicy and it tastes nothing like any apple you're going to buy at any supermarket in this fair land. It is a proper delicious apple and i love it and we got we the the one problem with it is and this is probably why it isn't grown more widely is it's a biennial crop okay i.e it has an off year between Mm. fruiting so this year this year's it's off year for our orchard our standard apple luckily we do grow two pitmastons down on our espaliers in the vegetable garden and they were fruiting this year so we've got about 30 pitmastons to go through but ah that is pro- yeah that is going to be my all-time favorite apple and i will say that all our apples are seven, uh, 18th century apples so they're all 1700s and i know that you at um east donland grow a few more modernish varieties don't you well we do but then so so just to remind me the apples that you've been picking today are they your orchard trees by your with, with the wildflower meadow underneath is that right and then that's it there are all our standards yeah in yeah, the orchard yeah. yeah and the espaliers do you have you picked those as well now or in i have picked we've picked them already because they tend to i they tend to fruit a bit earlier right and what i do find is that if we don't get them quickly they they fall off a lot quicker i'm not i'm not sure why whether because to be honest the orchard at the top of the property is actually more exposed mm. so i always think that that's going to lose its apples but actually i find espalier apples tend to fall off a lot quicker yeah whether it's because we've got different varieties i'm not sure but um yeah we've picked those already okay yeah. okay yeah yeah so at east Donland we have um we have espalier pears along the south wall of the kitchen garden we don't have espalier apples there we do have freestanding apple trees um so we have uh, quite a lot of Cox's Orange Pippin, which the owners absolutely love. We have a, a Bramley seedling. So we have the classics. And then we also have things like Darcy Spice. And we have... Um, yep. Uh, well, no, actually, to be fair, that is that is all the apples that we have at the hall. I, at home, I have um, Kids Orange Red. And I have Pixie, which is a, a cross with a Cox's Orange Pippin. And it's a, it's a more reliable fruiter and a slightly it's still a slightly small fruit but it's it's got the flavor of cox but it doesn't have the associated issues along with that cox does with which is uh, is quite canker prone and cox is also prone to scab uh, which i guess down in the west country you have to be quite mindful of that because scab can be more prevalent in in wetter conditions can't it so so do you do you yeah. find that you have to control that or do you just um how, do you have to step in or and can you just thin out and and, and that's enough or what do you do i don't find it too much of a problem i'm not sure whether it's because of our heritage varieties that we've chosen the mm. the thing about the varieties we have is they're all classic um west country trees um, oh, okay right. so along the tamar valley for those who know this area which is basically the border of cornwall and devon was uh, uh all the way up used to be market garden um central mm. so there used to be orchards beyond you know as far as the eye can see, all the way up the Tamar Valley. So a lot of the apples that we grow uh, are locally sourced. Uh, they're not all bred for, in Devon. Um, a few of them are, but most of them are either Herefordshire or Wor- uh, Worcestershire apples. Mm. But they were definitely all grown down here and they've made their way into some of the local nurseries as classics. So I think 
that we probably don't get as much scab as say some of the other varieties that were probably bred for other areas because yeah, yeah, I'm with you. they've been grown down here for so long. Um, mm. And to be honest, I don't really control m- much of the disease. Um, I get a little bit of brown rot. That's probably the most prevalent thing I get. But um, with that, in, in, in honesty, all I do is pick off the apples and make sure that they either go in the compost or, or, mm. or in, in the fire, uh, down the fire site. I don't really control coddling moth at all either. I don't really get a problem with that. The, the, the one thing is, and I'm sure you find this at East Donland, is that an orchard's a lovely thing to have, and we've got approximately uh, about 15 trees. Three... <laughs> which is what my owners are mm. it's far too many trees you know yeah. even yeah. one tree like i was saying with the um peter lock five trugs of apples which i i'd say you can get <laughs> about 50 apples per trug so that's 250 apples there's no way they're going to eat them no. and no even to try and store 250 apples is nigh, nigh on impossible uh you know i can probably store about 100 apples and I like to try and make sure I've got an even amount of all the varieties. So an orchard's a little bit of an indulgence in, in some ways. So I'm not too worried if I lose a bit of fruit here or there, because at the end of the day, I'm always going to have too much. Too much. Well, do you know what? The setup for, we'll have to explain this, because the setup at Stonelands, as you say, is for a small family. Mm. The setup at East Donnellan Hall, with we've got, um, let me just count in my head, we've got at least eight mature if not more orchard style apple trees yeah and uh the the yield of those is as you say especially with these mature trees now is, is enormous and the family will they won't get through them all at all mm. um so um i know when i first started the gardens i got a little bit disheartened because i was picking all the bramleys and the coxes and the darcy spice and other bits and bobs putting them in the the fruit store which i'll talk about in a minute and then as they spoiled and went over i would just gradually move them from the fruit store onto the compost heap or put them out for the birds as windfalls and i was like well um, i don't quite understand what's going on here but um i now have my head around the the um the family's requirements for the orchard and so like you i i think i'm now just acclimatized myself to getting used to there being a bit of wastage because um, there's lots of other things that can be done with surplus fruit. And again, we'll probably touch on that later in this podcast today. But um, what I do is I, I pick the all the fruit off the trees when I feel it's ready. So the discovery was picked ages ago and that gets eaten very quickly straight into the house. Um, the brownies and the coxes and the Darcy Spice will uh, sort of mature and mellow and soften and ripen in, in the store. And um, so I, I find that I, I, I pick all the trees get the fruit actually into the greenhouse on the slatted shells in the greenhouse just for a couple of days because what that does with that little bit of extra warmth that the greenhouse provides me and the real clear visual as well because in the fruit store it's very dark and dingy um i can see if there's any any spoils if there's any skin damage or any rots just setting in or any coddling moth that i might have not noticed because often that actually goes in often right in the stalk end or in the basil flower end and you can't see it very clearly so that just allows a little bit of the tissues to if they are going to be damaged, they will actually do so re- quite rapidly in the greenhouse. So then I can pick out the ones that I know are perfectly sound. Those will go into the store. And our store is on the north side of the ward kitchen garden. It's a brick building. Its north side is very shady, very cool. It's nice and humid, which is what you want for an apple store. You don't want it to be dry because otherwise the fruit will wither um, and desiccate really quickly. So the humidity actually is quite important. So 
you know, if you haven't got the luxury of a kitchen garden, then um, a, a garage or a shed or something like that is a, is a very good building. The slatted shelves, you could just use slatted trays or even cardboard boxes with straw in the base or newspaper in the base, just something that's that's porous, not ideally not plastic because you, the, the, you want something that's going to sort of like not not have allow, allow moisture to fester. So we have wooden slatted shelves. I clean the whole lot down before the apples move in there. So we'll sterilise it all um, with a, a, a mild J solution, allow the fumes to disperse and then we put newspaper down and then I'll lay all the sound apples on the fruit store, but they're not touching. Uh, so again, if one does spoil, then it won't uh, penetrate through to the other. We do put mice traps down, humane mice traps. That is one thing that you really must do if you start storing mm. away any kind of um, either orchard fruit or even things like, you know, like your potatoes and your sweet potatoes, beetroot. You must get the mouse situation under control. So um, along with making sure that any entrance and exit holes are stuffed up with chicken wire to stop the, the mice being able to get in and out, that's something that we do in the stores. As I say, put the, the humane traps down. So that does mean that they need to be checked every single day, which uh, we, which we do between us. We can we have a rotor and we get that sorted out. Um and yeah, as I say, then the surplus go either, I leave them in the greenhouse. I know Jade's uh, two, two um, she's got two young boys. They love to eat fruit. So she can have the spoils before they've gone, you know, gone over. Um, or I'll, I'll, I'll eat a few, but but mainly they, they do end up on the compost heap. And I'll go into the store every every week or so, uh, maybe even more frequent than that, and just take out any fruit that I can see that's starting to shrivel and rot. And and that's essentially how we do things at the hall. We, but So as Stonians, how do you store your fruit? Have you got a store as well? What? Yeah, no, we don't really store that much. Um, I can store some uh, in their kitchen, but they, they do also have a wine cellar, mm. which I find uh, quite ideal yeah, as yeah, well because it's quite cool mm. and it's quite humid in there as well. So I can store a, a, a small amount. It's not so much the storage that worries me. It's just the amount the family eats. They don't really go through the apples mm. at a rate, which means they're going to use a hundred up within however, however many months or how many weeks they're there. Yeah. So I've actually found, found for the last four years now, I'm, I actually try to find a third party. And for the last three years, I've been sending them off to our local horticultural society in Dawlish. And they will sell them on or take them to local charities lovely. to be used, which I think is lovely. Yeah. Unfortunately, so this year we have a small problem in that we have a, the pandemic going on which is now even stopping my apple uh you know supplying but um i found a a really nice community group in plymouth called always apples Mm -hmm. run by a very old friend of mine from from way back when i first started gardening and uh, was getting into the likes of permaculture and forest gardening um her name's tess wilmot um and she is running community juicing uh, of apples for people who have surplus apples Perfect. in their back garden oh, how lovely. and she's still doing it she has a trailer with a juicer mm-hmm. and she goes around so i got in touch to ask her if she was interested in these apples and how many there were and she's really keen to try single variety juicing because she's usually it's mixed when it's a community juicing yep. everyone just brings all their apples and you get a sort of mixed juice but she hasn't really tried, and to be honest, nor have I. So I'm really interested to see if any of our apples make a really nice juice because, um, you know, I think apple juice, a fresh apple juice 
is gorgeous. I know lots of people are going to think, well, actually, fermented fresh apple juice. <laughs> I was just is even that better. was just on the tip of my tongue because we with the volume of apples, what, as you say, what you can do if you can find something like that, someone who's got the juicing equipment to to mm. basically mash it all up, put it in the press, and then the pasteurizing for to to bottle up and keep the juice. Mm. That is such a, a great thing to do. And then there's a company. I don't know if they're still in existence called Hill Home Juice that I've, I've interviewed for, for various garden magazine articles who, who again, will do that for you. They've got all the kit. And if you want to go along with your apples, um, they will bottle it up and label it. And like I say, keep it into separate varieties if you wish, um, which is such a good way to deal with the surplus. So you can have it as juice. There's, mm. we've, we've got an apple, apple tree in our own back garden here where I live just out, just outside the hall, it's massive and it's biennial bearing, like your Pitmaston pineapple. And it, it, this year is an off year for it, but next year I know it will be loaded, absolutely loaded with fruit. And I have juiced those myself, just a small volume in a food processor and then wrung it out in a, in a clean tea towel. And mm. I hadn't even pasteurized it. I just froze it and just thought, well, I'll just see what this is like. Delicious, really very, very tasty. And it's surprising how many apples you can get through when you're trying to make a volume of juice. So so if you are curious and you want to just see whether your apples even would make a decent juice in the first place, as I say, a food processor, tea towel, wring it out, let it settle for a bit so the sediment sort of sorts, sets, sorts itself out at the bottom of the of the jug and taste it. You, you'll be surprised, hopefully, in a pleasant way. And, uh, and that's a, that is a good way to use up your, your surplus apples. We've reached the end of today's episode and we sincerely hope that you found it informative and entertaining. If you'd like to leave us a review via your podcast provider, we'd be delighted to know your thoughts. While many aspects of the garden year are behind us, there are still plenty of horticultural milestones to mark. So Saul and myself are eager to bring you yet more valuable episodes of the Talking Heads podcast. We're also keen to visit those iconic gardens, large and small, of our peers and friends. With this in mind, you can look forward to an autumn packed full of interviews, road trips, practical advice, and of course, mine and Lucy's opinions on all manner of wide-ranging horticultural topics. We want to ensure that our listeners are kept up to date with what any self-respecting head gardener needs to know. So, until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye!